good morning. All right, everybody. How y'all doing? What? What'd you say? Is it too bright? Oh, um, you could turn it down a little bit. Yeah, but that's that's fine. Yeah. So how you guys doing? Doing all right? Okay. Sounds good. Well, last week we started our new series titled Living Counter-Culturally, and we discussed, like, what is this thing that we call culture? And so very quickly, just for review, we defined it as um, the arts, communication mediums, beliefs, and practices of a particular social group, and sometimes it involves a, a certain geographical area. And I think um, all of us have seen how geography and the socioeconomic background, even the racial background in an area will affect the culture, the music, the food, our language, um, the customs, all those types of things, what they honor, um, what's really important. And so, um, as I mentioned last week, over the centuries, there have been kind of movements of Christians that, in my opinion, have swung the pendulum too far when it came to how they interpreted some of Jesus' words. And in particular, his words about the world and how we are to be in the world, but not of the world was something that Jesus said. It was kind of a concept that he taught frequently, but that has oftentimes kind of been extrapolated where Christians would see that more as I need to separate myself from the world. And so there's actually been movements within Christendom um, that have been built kind of on that thinking. And the, and the biggest one was the monastic movement where Christians were isolating themselves from the world, which, as we talked about, was really the opposite of what Jesus instructed us to do. What he said was, go into the world, not leave it, but go into the world, stay in it, engage with others, and go right out there. And so Christians that have followed Jesus over the centuries and really took those words and his mission um, seriously have always had the opportunity and I would say the responsibility and the privilege to engage in other cultures in really deepful, um, deeply meaningful ways. Deepful meaning. Right, a new word. Just make them up when you're up here, yeah. <laughs> Deeply meaningful ways of engaging with culture. And that's really cool that we have this responsibility, this opportunity, and this privilege. So one of the main reasons that I felt, um, and my wife and I felt led by God to come to Orlando um, was not that there was sun down here. We're from Ohio. I'm a hockey player. 
there wasn't a lot of appeal to Orlando based on a couple things and kind of my, my upbringing, but I knew that there would be people from all over the world here that we would have an opportunity to connect with. And so prior to that, prior to moving down here, my wife and I were actually strongly considering moving to Amsterdam in the Netherlands um, to plant a church there. And so we had made a number of trips over there, and we were trying to just think about what is it going to be like to raise a family in that culture. And so here's a couple pictures. I think of that maybe when I was over there. Did you already show those, Steve? Or maybe you did. With me and Luke. Is it on there? Oh, okay. Uh, for some reason, our monitor is being goofy today, so. Which is interesting that, you know, in Scripture, they never had these monitors, did they? <laughs> Paul was never like, hold on, just a minute. So, we'll see. Technical difficulties, yeah, right. So, see if that works. Nah? Whatever. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. It was just a picture of me and Luke in Amsterdam, so no biggie. Okay. Um, anyway, but one of the reasons that we wanted to go there was that um, we were thinking about the long-term strategy and the fact that, like, man, if we could do church, if we could reach people with the gospel in Amsterdam, we could do it anywhere. And in addition was knowing that the younger culture there, like it is not uncommon for a young person to speak four to five languages also. So when we were thinking about that, we're like, man, it would be awesome if we were to reach people in that culture that had the ability to speak all these languages. It could be kind of a gateway into reaching more of Europe. And so that was something that we were really strongly considering. And so following Jesus actually comes with this implicit command that we would love and engage with others in places where we just are not comfortable, where we are the strangers and the outsiders, all for the purpose of introducing the world to others. So there's, okay, so if we could go back. Thanks, Steve-O, for finding that, man. Um, so that's the church that we started there in Amsterdam and was kind of like God just working that and, and impressing on our hearts in that area. We, my wife and I, did en ended up not going. But a group from Bowling Green up in Ohio and Colorado State went out there. And so that's the sign that's outside their church. And here was me and Luke. This was on one of our trips. That was back when he was pretty little, okay? Um, and that was kind of a, a trip deciding whether we were going to go or not or even head over there at a later time. So um, just a lot going on there during that time. Um, but we knew that we were going to be strangers and outsiders in that culture 
However, there was this bigger purpose of introducing the world to Jesus that made us consider that. So, when it comes to culture, Christians who have taken this mission seriously have found themselves like in places and situations that they never thought possible or that they just didn't see themselves in and having to adapt to other cultures for the sake of others. So our own John Heaver, okay, here he is. And he was asked, there he is, look at that. He was looking very gruff at that time. And, um, and he was, this is in Parkashan, this village in Kenya. And um, there were a number of cultural things that when people from our church went there, that they were taught that they needed to adapt to the culture. Um, John was actually asked, um, Hylene, what was it to, to slaughter? The goat. That's right. And so in their tribe, like I guess this was kind of an honor to be asked to slaughter this goat, and so he did that. Um, there were other things that were that were. Um, a part of that culture, like even some instruction and before going over there was that the flies that consistently land um, on your face and to not swat at those and try to swat those away. Am I right? Yeah. And part of that was that, yeah, you wanted to, didn't you, Hylene? Yes, you did. But you didn't, did you? Sometimes. Hylene. <laughs> When others weren't looking, right? Of course. So, but part of the reason they, they didn't do that, as difficult as that is for us, was that that could be offensive to the people there. They have grown accustomed to that. They think nothing of it. They don't even notice that. And so they were willing to be uncomfortable, except in certain spots where Hylene cheated. So... Okay, which all of us are like, well, that's what we would do. We can't blame you. But, but thinking about others in their culture like that is something that Jesus calls us to. All because there was a bigger thing here, and that was reaching the world for Jesus. So in this room alone, okay, there are multiple people that have spent considerable time and their own resources to engage with others outside of what they grew up with. Okay, so here's a few pictures. I don't know if you've ever seen this guy. This is a guy named Bobby Hegedish, okay? I've never, maybe you've seen him recently, like standing there about 10 minutes ago. But, um, so... We've got Bobby and then Logan Eckhart and Corey Brittenham, and here they are, okay? Now, um, Logan and Corey, where's Logan? Oh, back there, there he is. Um, sometimes they're like, why aren't they here on Sundays? Well, here's why, or even like life groups throughout the week or whatever, it's because often they're in like Tanzania, Bangladesh, Hungary, I asked Bobby, I was like, where are you going next? Indonesia, 
Okay. And so the thing that they're like given to and that God has gripped their hearts with is reaching people that are outside of really what's comfortable to them in many ways. And so Logan and Corey, like they're busy going into these villages and finding voiceover actors for the Jesus film that their ministry shows in these remote villages. And they use local actors to do that so people can hear the words of Jesus in their own language. It's amazing to see what they are doing and how God is using them. All of that is partly due to culture. Local culture and the listener's connection to it is important and should be honored. And so they are doing that and they're making it possible for these unreached people groups to hear the gospel in their own language. So this is really important for us, like right here, even though we're not traveling to all of those countries every other month like they are, is how do we learn the cultural language that others speak? Like right now, where we're at, where we live, and where we work. So one of the Christians that I've deeply respected and that I've mentioned before was a young guy named Hudson Taylor, okay? And there he is, at a, a young man at this point, put his life on the line, battling sickness. He was so determined to follow Jesus and help others get to know him that he moved to China. He felt like China was a place that God was calling him to. He engaged deeply with the culture. So he was dressing like them. He walked like them. He was becoming like them. And that's what some of the local missionaries who were already there criticized him in that respect. Because he was not trying to change their culture. He was trying to show them the love of Jesus. That's what he was about. Now, over the centuries, I think all of us have heard, like there's been missionaries that, um, that have entered cultures and focused more on changing the culture than helping them see Jesus. And they've kind of missed the point. And because of that, they were ineffective and some might even say that they were destructive to a local culture. Meanwhile, we have other people like this guy. So Bruce Olson, and here he is. Um, so Olson grew up in a legalistic Lutheran church where his parents were really cold and kind of indifferent to the gospel. And so he... As a young, a young guy um, embarked kind of on a quest for genuine Christianity. And so he started studying the Bible in the original languages, in Greek, in Hebrew, and eventually that led him to faith in Jesus. So when he was 19, he felt 
led to reach people in South America. And so he ends up on his own heading to South America. Now, there were some missionaries that were in those areas, and they didn't receive him well. Um, they refused him, basically viewed him as an outsider because there wasn't any sending mission agency that was, I mean, he was kind of just like on his own. And so he ends up attending a university in Venezuela, and he starts to learn, yeah, he starts to learn about, more about some of these South American tribes, and then he sets off on his own in the jungle to find them. Spends a year with the Yuko tribe, then he goes even deeper in the jungle in the jungle looking for the Maloins, okay? He gets pierced by an arrow. He almost gets executed by their head chief of the tribe. He endures dysentery, hepatitis. He's dealing with parasites. He never leaves through all of that. He continues to count all of that as like suffering for the gospel, going through that. He is uncomfortable in every way. In fact, as he talks about it, there's some deep discouragement that he experiences. But eventually, he accompanies some of the men on their hunting and their fishing trips. He adjusts to their diet. And he learns their language, which is a series of, like, tones and noises. He shares the gospel eventually with a group of men who he realizes, under, comes to find out, they are trying to find God. They were attempting to find God. And then he does this. This is really cool. There was a fable that was really popular amongst that tribe about man, a man, becoming an ant. And he uses that very story, their fable, to explain how God became a human to help them understand the gospel. And then it happens. They listen there still isn't really a, you know, an acceptance of Jesus per se, but they're open to him spiritually. And then eventually there's a tribe leader that he befriends, gets to know him really well. He calls him Bobby, okay? Bobby comes to Jesus and then leads the entire tribe to Jesus by using a chant that they're all, that they're all familiar with, and he shares the gospel story through this chant, and that influences the entire tribe to put their trust in Christ. And they end up, like they have a nickname for Bruce Olson, they call him Bruchko in that tribe. And he continues, like even after that, he stays with them. He helps them um, discover, like there's some modern medicine type things that he helps them with certain medical issues that they've been having. Um, 
he struggles like crazy, he said, like to translate the gospel of Mark and then the entire New Testament into their tonal language and their oral culture. And so he says, like, how am I going to do this? Like he talks about being really discouraged about how difficult that was. But again, he doesn't leave. He stays. And eventually, as that tribe continues to follow Jesus, he actually serves as kind of an advocate for them. With other local um, cultures to maintain their own culture while following Jesus. What a great story. What a good, what a good man. And as a young person, I think of that verse that says, don't let anyone look down on your youth. So Bruce Olson and Hudson Taylor learned the language of the local culture and engaged in it. They didn't run from it. They ran to it. They were truly like walking examples of, I think, what Jesus was really saying when he meant, and he said, be in the culture, but not of the culture. And I think we can learn a lot from them, like for our experience right here in Orlando. This is what living counterculturally is all about. They used culture and cared about culture to transform hearts. And then ultimately, that transforms that entire area in that culture. So, here's what I'd like for us to think about as we discuss this. What culture do you operate in presently? What is that? When you think about your work environment, um, kind of your circle of friends, and this is really important, do you have a meaningful connection with others in that culture that don't know Jesus? Do you have a meaningful connection? That is really important. Like we may rub shoulders with people who don't know Jesus constantly. But do we have a meaningful connection? That is really important for us, for God to use us in other people's lives. Olson and Taylor, those two people, um, they didn't consider their lives their own. Like, they weren't looking for pleasure or rest or leisure, they were willing to make themselves uncomfortable for others' sake because they cared about their salvation. They cared about them knowing Jesus, and they were willing to learn their language. They learned where they were at, and eventually that culture got to see Jesus in them. And that's powerful. It's really powerful. I think God desires the same for us, like right here. And so I want us to think about during this series, is there a local culture, whatever that is, that 
God is calling you to? Or is he just calling you to engage more meaningfully and deeply relationally with the people that you're already with? Could that be part of what God is after? This is one of the things that we've talked about even on the campus. It is very easy to just kind of put our heads down like as students and do your own thing and not engage. And now, so I think that is a a struggle that we all have, okay? Now, last week when I finished this, the first teaching in this series, um, I described Christian's relationship to culture and used a, a word picture that I feel has been helpful to me, and that is this um, downstream, upstream type word picture. And so when it, to explain it again, when it comes to art, or music, or intellectual progress, those kinds of things. It's all like a stream that flows downhill from the city centers and college campuses, the media, and the arts. And that oftentimes that stream, Christians are often like on the bank watching the cultural current rush by while trying to pick out what we like about culture. But instead, what we should be about is being at the top of the stream, helping to define what culture is, and that that would flow downhill and influence the world. Here's what's so encouraging about that opportunity is throughout the centuries, Christians have done exactly that. They have led when it came to art and music and scientific inquiry, philosophy, math, medicine. Oh my gosh, we have contributed so much. And we're going to look at some of those things over the next few weeks and how Christians in their cultures led the charge in these really important disciplines. We're going to learn about what they contributed and what motivated them. I think we'll find it interesting. So I thought a great way to kind of start that direction is by starting local. Like, who are some of the influencers in Orlando that are engaging well and are in the culture but not of the culture? Well, here's one that I've come across. This guy, his name's Ben Hoyer. Okay, there he is. And he owns a coffee shop down downtown in College Park. It's on it, uh, just off of Edgewater. I think he has three locations now. And he's a pastor's son. He loves Jesus. He wanted to have his coffee shop be a place where people meet and share ideas and connect with one another. But he had much more than that in mind. He's not in it to make a buck. 
In fact, this is one of the things that's really interesting about his coffee shop. How many have been in there? You've been in there. Okay. Um, I'm sorry, I didn't say that. Downtown Credo is the name of the church. Or the church, yeah. The coffee shop. I'm sorry. I have it right here in my notes. I seriously did not say that. It's like really big too. That's such. That is so sad. Okay. So it's called Downtown Credo, and one of the things that's unusual is that there is no charge for what they offer. You just name your price. Whatever you can do or whatever you feel it's worth or whatever. Is that a good business principle? Probably not. Okay. <laughs> Joe's like, I'm going there this week. Oh, yeah. Every day. Yeah. They'll have your face on the wall eventually. Do not let this guy in. No. So in a culture where money rules, I mean, like we're just used to that. You don't get things for free. I guarantee you tons of people, tons, have walked in there and can't really find the pricing. And then you, they say, well, you just whatever you can do. And the looks they must get are really, you know, so listen to this. This is on their website, on Ben's website, for Downtown Credo. Downtown Credo is a social enterprise benefit corporation committed to inspiring the pursuit of meaning, impact, and community. We are instigated by our credo that says this, and I love this. This is their mission. And tell me if this does not sound like the church. Life is worth living. I refuse to merely exist. I pursue a life of meaning and purpose, fulfillment, and joy. The world is not yet as it ought to be. Neither is my city. Neither am I. Yet I reject apathy and despair. I engage the world, my city, and myself to make an impact for good. I am not alone. I press through narcissism, isolation, and self-sufficiency, striving to live in authentic community. That's his coffee shop's mission. And as you can guess, that coffee shop has had a huge amount of influence in Orlando. He just described the mission of Jesus' followers right there. When I see things like that, and I experience that, like it makes me proud to be a Christian and call him brother. Another thing on their website, I couldn't help but like, I want to share this. Quote, in the face of large systemic problems, it's easy to suppose there's nothing we can do. But systems are rarely changed by big heroic acts. It's lots of small, successive choices that build up to change. Credo coffee is a choice to reject apathy and believe in impact. It's not just great coffee. It's sourced from families through relationships and brought to you. 
Again, just living that out. So to the trained eye, to someone who's a, a Jesus follower, I know what's going on here with that coffee shop. In my opinion, Ben and his team are culture shapers. They are leading the crowd at the top of the stream. So, that's one local example. Let's walk five blocks from here, this direction, to the steps of First Presbyterian downtown. Okay? Pastored by a guy named David Swanson, who right now is maybe, um, like, to be over 50 and a white male is kind of like, mm, you know? Not the coolest thing. Um, and that is what I am. Thank you. Okay? <laughs> I had my day. It's over. It is over. Right, Steve? We used to be cool. Like for 1.3 years. We were awesome. Yeah. Um, I tell my kids that. Oh, I was so cool. It was, yeah. Anyways. Um, so... Most, though, would look at First Presbyterian downtown, led by an old white dude, this established church that's all about money. That's what they would think. And if you would think that, you would be totally off and wrong. We have a huge, like, there is a homeless population in Orlando. The guy that has led the charge to provide for, feed, love, and house the homeless has been David Swanson, their pastor. He heads the Central Florida Commission on Homelessness. He was asked to do that by the city because they saw his passion and knew he had ideas. And they have other reasons for maybe... Like, well, we don't want homeless here. But he is led by the gospel. And so he has pushed the city. He's pushed other leaders. Much of the progress in Orlando is a direct result of him working his tail off. And the city has leaned on him to help them. He's gathered others. He's inspired others. He's raised money. All kinds of things to make a difference. And for years, if you got up at 5 a.m. and drove past their church, you would see a line all the way around the church of homeless people because they fed breakfast to hundreds every single morning. That church. What motivates David? He wants to transform the culture in Orlando, and the gospel drives him to do that. I was there one night, and there was a man that spoke that used to be homeless, who, I mean, this is an amazing thing. He used to kind of uh, hole up next to First Presbyterian, and on Sunday said that he would sit outside and peer in the windows and think, what are they doing in there? And, and it just seemed like a different world to him. And he was spiritually interested, but 
No one really looked like him or maybe even acted like him. He didn't know if he would ever be welcome in there, but he would look from the outside in. He eventually came to Christ, and he's a pastor of a church like over by Paramore area. And one night, the first time that he was ever in First Press, he was teaching from the pulpit to all those people. Because David gave him his floor and said, I want you to communicate to our people. That is living counter to the culture right there. And when that kind of thing happens, then we are upstream and we're leading. David's been a great example of engaging in the world while not being of it. So what does that mean for us? Well, the encouragement is that David Swanson, Ben Hoyer, they're just normal people like us. That's it. They've been changed by Jesus, like many of us, and they've decided to just act on how God has led them. You guys in the band, you guys can come up. Which brings us to this, and I'm going to finish with this. I think Jesus wants us to become upstreamers in Orlando. For us to be the ones that are influencing culture. Here is the question, where and how? We need to spend some time with God. I cannot tell you where that is for you. But we need to spend some time with God and say, what does that look like in my life where I'm at? I'm proud of so many of us, all of us in this room that, I mean, you've been all over the world, many of you, because you're serving Jesus. And yeah, we're going to go and we're going to take some trips sometime just for fun. Absolutely. That's part of life too. But I get like, when I think of some of my friends that get very little vacation time, and then when they do get it, they use it to go to the Dominican Republic to rebuild houses or whatever, and I think, man, God, that is, that is awesome. And so we need to ask ourselves that question. What does this look like? How can I become someone that is upstream? and that is influencing this culture. I know that in many ways we are already leading here. But could God be after something like really meaningful locally where we engage in our culture like Ben Hoyer does, does with his coffee shop that when people walk into his place, they notice and they experience something different. I mean, our hope is that people experience us in that way. There's something different and it's good. I think God wants us to be those kind of upstreamers and difference makers. Let's pray.
God, we ask you for the courage to be uncomfortable. We ask you for hearts that are willing to be molded and that are willing to be open to inspiring others to really become cultural shapers. God, it is so easy for us to get lost in our little, our isolated, narcissistic world. Could you give us a vision that is beyond our front door that involves so much more? Could you expand the vision? Could you even give us some hope and knowledge of like where we're at right now and how that culture, how we can engage more deeply and more meaningfully to make a difference. God, we ask that you would impress on our hearts. Help us to be open to you and that this series, this time of thinking how to live counter the culture, like it would make a difference, God. We ask this in your name.